Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is hour two of the game, the game after work. Mitch Fortner and Troy Coverdale will be joined by K-State's Brian Smoller here in just a moment. Having him back on after uh, we had him on three weeks ago as K-State was heading into the Oklahoma State series. I think this is a very appropriate time to have him back on after K-State gets snubbed uh, from the NCAA tournament. We're back after also a week off from the show. Troy was on vacation. He went to Lake of the Ozarks. I watched Ozark. I'll just say this, and I'm not going to give any spoilers if you haven't seen it. And if you if you struggle with or, you know, you've had issues in the past with anxiety and it can be easily triggered from a dramatic TV show, skip this one. Because I'm not somebody that has had to deal with issues with anxiety. I'm pretty chill. I've never had a show that has triggered anxiety for me like Ozark. Really? I'll just put it that way. And the the chaos, like Ozark's chaos has shock factor. And it comes out of nowhere sometimes. Great. Now Monica's going to be watching it. Oh, I'm <laughs> like, if you think you can handle it, definitely watch it. I'm not even done with it. And it's 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 a great show. I would say the only thing, the only show that has ever rivaled Ozark for me, and it, I, and I like it. I def, I do like it more than Ozark. It's one of my top five favorite all time. Is Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad, especially when you got later into the show, because I've always said Breaking Bad. I think it gets better season by season, and with it getting better, so does the anxiety. It builds up, and some plot twists, some shocking events. Just become more dramatic. Ozark has its twists and turns. Dramatic events, you're like, oh no, this guy just showed up. This isn't good. You know the blank is about to hit the fan. All right, we ready to go? All right, we're now joined by K-State's Brian Smoller. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for your time. Welcome back to Manhattan after a long trip to Arlington. But have you seen Ozark yet? I have. I have seen that show. How'd you handle it? Did you handle it with a little <laughs> bit of ease, or was your anxiety through the roof? Uh, no, I, I, I was okay. I mean, going in, I had heard that it was kind of Breaking Bad beats the Midwest. So with that descriptor, having heard you just describe that Breaking Bad was your favorite show, that was kind of the, the tease of it when it first came out. I'm a big Jason Bateman fan. Love him just about yes. everything. And... Um, I enjoyed it. I mean, obviously, it's 
it's got its moments. It's got uh, it's a little, as you say, it's a little intense, but it's kind of the same premise, right? That whatever whatever has happened to Marty is kind of what could happen to any of us if you you're faced with these decisions. It's kind of the same idea that Breaking Bad is trying to sell you on, and it's uh, boy Walter just made a couple of decisions that all of us would have to try and face, and he chose one path and just kept leading them down a darker and darker path. And that's kind of the idea with that show, too. So uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, hate to see it end, but it was one that my wife and I both enjoyed watching. And it's always weird, like, you're you're rooting for a king, like a drug kingpin. <laughs> that That's that's the protagonist in these shows. You're, you're rooting for actually some pretty crappy people. If you think no, about no it, no doubt, and and that's part of the allure, right? Is you're rooting for as the anti-hero to survive and make it and escape uh, the punishment of it all. And you've got to give, by the way, the folks uh, at at Lake the Ozarks credit. At least one enterprising person. They've started a restaurant named Marty Birds. Oh no, kidding. have they really? Well, wonderful. <laughs> that's really, really brilliant on their part. I, I mean, and I I read somewhere once where they didn't actually film the show there. They filmed parts of it there, but yeah. they didn't film all of it there. But boy, it it uh, there there were different. I know. I mean, it was in season one. I can't. There were early early on. There were some. Your places like, oh yeah, I I, I kind of remember that place, or I've heard of that place, and then they kind of bridged away from that, but. Um, I would think that if you're not that Branson's hurting for tourism, but the Ozarks in general, you would want to capitalize on that show and the popularity for people wanting to go and experience that. Pretty smart on their part, whoever opened that restaurant. Yeah, I think a lot of it's actually filled in Georgia. The house uh, that the birds live in, uh, that's in Georgia. I found that out yesterday. I was a little disappointed by that because I would definitely uh, go check it out if I was in the Ozarks area. Speaking of uh, location stuff here, Brian, now with two years of having the Big 12 tournament at Globe Life Field, in Arlington, do you like it there, or do you miss Chickasaw Bricktown Ballpark? Well, this is kind of uh, a dilemma that is not unlike the uh, entirety of college baseball as a sport, but I would say that from a broadcaster perspective, the setup at Globe Life Field is immaculate. I mean, we pretty much get our own booth. They have 10 broadcast booths, so... Each team that makes the field pretty much has your own tournament booth to set up for the whole week, which is great because we took us off. Not that anybody cares about us, right? That's the old. That's what you're supposed to say. But in the old in Chickasaw, there's only three, and so the eight teams we you know we're we're on top of each other, we're rotating, and one of those is an outdoor booth. It's just a suite that's been converted tables. So one of us has to be out in the elements, and you're just kind of rotating based on who gets there first and um, trying to get set up and torn down and, and a, in a rush sense to get out of the way for the next guy. It, it's just a pain. So in Arlington, it's great. It, uh, you have a meal service. It's, it's, they take care of you. The Rangers are absolutely wonderful people uh, to, to be hosts. Um Angie Swint is actually uh, high up a vice president in the Rangers organization. She's a K-State grad and kind of oversees all the broadcasting side, and she's been a huge help um, for all of us that have been down there in the last couple of years. So from that standpoint, it's great. I think the players enjoy the Major League Baseball experience being in that park and all the bells and whistles that come with being down the dugouts and in those areas, the batting cages and all that. Now, all that said, from a fan perspective, I think Chickasaw is a better fan experience. And just from Bricktown, 
lodging, restaurants nearby, prices of, of concessions, all those sorts of things. That is a much better experience than Arlington, which isn't bad. It's just different. It's more corporate. It has a, a little bit pricier feel. Texas Live has been there for the football championship. You know what I'm talking about. It's just there's not everything's more spread out. It's not a there's not a lot around that area to be able to walk around and, and either stay at a hotel and cheap for fans or restaurants. So I guess that's the, the best way I can. That's a long answer, Mitch, to what you asked. But there you go. Well, I've never been to either one, and I I, I certainly will you know one of these days. But I, I I would just say like from a broadcaster standpoint, I could definitely understand the comfort from broadcasting Globe Life Field. I guess, really, if there's any hate, it just comes from it's a huge stadium and not a whole lot of people there. Maybe the atmosphere just isn't that good. Well, that's what Pete Hughes would talk to you about, and, and that is for sure. Now, Chickasaw is not a small park. I mean, it's it's still a 10,000-seat stadium. So, you know, a couple hundred people, whether it's in a 30,000 or 40,000-seat stadium like Chick, uh, Globe Life or a 10,000-seat stadium like um, Chickasaw, it's still a couple hundred people. When you're playing at 9 a.m., as Keith stated a couple of different times, it doesn't really matter where you're playing. It's not going to be a great environment. So from that standpoint, it all comes back to the player uh, experience, and you want them to be able to play in front of big crowds. Now, I will say at Chickasaw, down the end, you know, even Oklahoma and Oklahoma State were not nearly drawing as big a crowd as they had hoped. And with none of the other Texas teams or K-State really being a factor other than one year in 2013, it was, uh, you know, it wasn't really drawing very well either. And as Globe Life got banged a lot this year about being um, not great as far as fans, they had 15,000 people there for the final, for the championship game, which is double what the SEC had for their championship game. So, you know pretty well attended and it rained all day Saturday and we didn't have to pause the game at all because they had the roof closed. So there are some advantages to being a good life field. Oh yeah. Shout out to the, uh, to the big 12 fans and also the uh, giant barbecue grill uh, there in Arlington having such a great crowd. That's awesome news to hear and being indoors. Absolutely. You don't have to worry about the elements. Um, all right. So Monday morning rolls around after Casey goes two and two third straight year. They make it to the semis of the big 12 tournament Lost twice to TCU, but they beat Texas, beat Kansas. I really liked the pitching in Arlington and kind of gave me a new, like, you know, kind of a new hope that the pitching would be a little bit better if Cats made it to the postseason. But you did a good job, like, detailing during the broadcasts here and there of, like, all right, now that the K State's in this certain situation, you're kind of hoping for these teams to lose. Heading into Monday, were you feeling good, nervous, not certain about K State's fate? Heading into Monday morning? Well, started to feel um, feel like K-State was on the outside looking in on Saturday morning, to be honest, um, going into the TCU game. And I'm not sure what happened over 24 hours, but Friday after K-State beat Kansas and really after beating Texas, everyone said that K-State was probably in the field. There are three major baseball projections on line and all three had K-State not just in but as one of the top safely in bubble teams right so they listed they would list like 12 bubble teams in case they would be second or third on that list so you felt pretty solid that K-State was in especially after beating the co-champions Texas and beating them for the second time and splitting a season series with them so 
Yeah, and, and then K-State beat Kansas, and then that night, uh, I think we signed off work and, and got done with everything, and K-State was still solidly in the field, but they were a little bit more middle of the pack. And then we woke up Saturday morning, and on our way to the park, we started getting word that K-State was now being projected as part of the first four out, and Oklahoma was in. And it was hard to understand how that flip could have occurred, but it was clearly getting there was feedback coming from the committee to those uh, respective sites that have done their homework and talked to committee members that K-State was being lowered because of their RPI. And it didn't seem to matter. And at that point, I, I should say that people don't know, Pete Hughes obviously is campaigning. He's doing it publicly. He's doing it at camp. But the administration for K-State went to bat big time, and the Big 12 went to bat for K-State big time. And did what they could, and Kirby Hokat, who's the Big 12 rep on the on the committee, was continuing in contact with members of the conference in K-State. Was, hey, give me some more data points. What else can we say? And trying to help and recuse himself in the room when Texas Tech came up, all that stuff. And they did their best, but the committee, as you've seen, keeps going back to the RPI, and they were going to ding K-State for that RPI despite the other stuff that seemed to be in their favor and it's everyone agrees it's flawed but no one seems wants to do anything about it and that's the frustrating part yeah like in your opinion like because this is rpi and this being a major factor in who gets in it feels like that's been going on for a long time i mean i'm sure you would agree and i think you brought it up briefly when we talked about three weeks ago about how unperfect this selection process is because rpi does feel flawed i mean is there even is there a reasonable explanation as to why Oklahoma got in over K-State without looking at RPI? No, there isn't. Um, it's only RPI, and I mean directly related to strength of schedule. So Kyle Pearson on the selection show, who I respect a great deal as an ESPN broadcaster, said flat out, now he was doing this not in reference specifically to K-State, but to a couple of the bubble teams that didn't get in. He said We're, the RPI rewards trying, not winning. And it, that's 100% what it does. And that's why it was a flawed metric when it was used for football some two decades ago. And we saw the evolution of that into the BCS and then the evolution of that into the current college football playoff committee. And it's why it was a flawed system when it was used for decades in basketball. And people <laughs> saw that it is not a reliable metric and decided to get away from that. And now we have the NET, the net ranking for basketball, which in itself is still not great, but it's a better system, and you have uh, you know a better evaluating tool and more metrics than just the net ranking when it's used for selection for both men and women for the tournament. If you look at the committee, they have the net, the RBI, all those are one of 16 different things that they look at metrics to evaluate basketball. We haven't gotten there in baseball, and I, and I think part of that, I think there are a lot of different reasons which we can get into, but I think Pete Hughes somewhat alluded to it today, and that's the regionality of college baseball. It's such it's because it's a spring sport, and it's so dependent on being outside. You're at the mercy if you're playing in the Midwest, in the Northeast, or anywhere north, you know, of, of, of they say the Mason-Dixon line. You're at such an already huge disadvantage. It's a legitimate. It's not a complaint. It's a fact. You're just at a huge disadvantage. Of, of being able to prepare your team and schedule teams. So how do you correctly weigh a team like K-State or a team like 
Michigan State or Nebraska that have to go on the road for the first three weeks of the season and play games, and you're trying to tell us, well, you need to schedule better. Well, why would we go schedule? We're going to be on the road for those three weeks. Why would we go schedule teams that are just going to beat our brains in and then before we can even get our team a little bit of footing and then you come back home and try and play your home games and try and play catch-up the rest of the season? That makes no sense. Uh, you know, Oklahoma's being rewarded for playing a schedule that had a lot of teams that were pretty mediocre, and they themselves went mediocre against them around 500 and under 500 in league play. And they get rewarded with a birth in. K-State played some winnable games on the road, won most of them, um, missed a month with Kalen Culpepper. They went 13-6 and six during that stretch. They lost four of those six games to teams at an RPI of 200 or worse. Two of those were in conference, but they were without their best player and Kalen Culpepper, arguably one of their best players. So how do you measure that? There's no way to measure it. And that's the hard part when it comes to everyone that says, yeah, that's a flawed system. John Cohen is on TV saying, yeah, it's a flawed system. We should do something about it, but nobody wants to take the bull by the horns and be the ones to change it. And that's what Pete Hughes is trying to change right now. Uh, he's got some backing of some other coaches in the league, Randy Mazie being one of them and a Big 12 Coach of the Year, so we'll see if, if something gets changed. But uh, it needs to be done. It needs to be done quick because, you know, teams have already scheduled 2024, so you're already looking at 2025-26 before you could really enact change and have teams scheduled accordingly. Yeah, that's, that's going to bring up my next point because, yeah, baseball gets scheduled a couple of years out prior, right? And you, you mentioned the regionalized part of the game, and that was kind of my next topic was – you know, just kind of, in a way, maybe simplified a little bit. So you have your non-con, your three-game series, you play them some at home, and like Casey went out to UC Irvine and won two or three, and UC Irvine was a good team. They are one of the other first four outs. But also you play the midweek games that are more regionalized. I mean, is K-State also getting kind of caught up in they're playing these regional teams on a Tuesday or Wednesday, and it just so happens those teams are worse than the teams that are regional to Oklahoma, like Or Roberts and Dallas Baptist that were both good teams. No question, because as much as we lament the current college system and love to make jokes, they are still, by rule, have to go to class. And they still have to stay eligible. And you're already trying to cram 56 games in in a three-month span. Now, if you want to have a conversation about that's too many games or the season needs to be pushed back, I'm all for it. I'm ready. But we're ready for it. Everybody that coaches at schools like K-State would be ready to have that conversation um, because the strain on college baseball student-athletes would already at a lower scholarship. They're only at 11.7 scholarships, so you're having to spread that over a roster of 35 guys. Then you're telling them they got to go to class full-time. Oh, by the way, you got to keep your GPA up. Oh, and by the way, you're going to need to play the first three weeks of the season on the road because that's the only way you're going to get any sort of consideration for the end of the season. I mean, it's just that's a lot. That's a lot on the plate of, of those kids. And uh, as PQ said, it's not fair. It's not right. And you know, we're not the first team that's been excluded of the tournament. It just so happens that Coach Hughes is, taking this moment. Feels like it's got a little bit of a platform. I agree with him. I think there's a little momentum right now. There's a little bit of awareness about it from the college baseball community. And listen, every sport that we've mentioned to this point, football, men's basketball, all reach this point. There's a tipping point where 
somebody decide enough is enough, or right, we got to come up with something better. And I hope it's now. I hope it's now because uh, I feel terrible for the senior. There are a lot of guys coming back on this K-State baseball team, but guys that are seniors that put in everything they had, thought they were in one day and then 24 hours later are not because uh, someone didn't have the courage to just look past RPI is, is a little hard to swallow. Speaking with K-State broadcaster Brian Smoller, I, I totally hear you about you know moving the start of the season till later day. I mean, you know, K-State maybe wouldn't have to start first two weeks on the road. I mean, two weeks straight on the road without going class, and maybe you can force like a team like Arizona, who finished twelve and eighteen in Pac-12 play, and they played their first. They played thirty-four of their first thirty-six games in their home state. Didn't have to go anywhere for the first over a month and a half before they traveled to Los Angeles, California, not too far from uh, from where they are in Arizona. Um, Brian, to wrap up here, uh, to put a bow on this, uh, you, you, you mentioned, you know, Caitlin Culpepper a bunch, but just about his talents this year. I just, maybe not just him, but maybe as a team or more individually, you know, what do you, what do you think you're, we're going to remember about the 2023 K-State Backcats, other than, of course, being left out barely of the NCAA tournament? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I went back the other uh, last night, and I was looking through some stuff on my phone, and I went back and I saw I had taken notes during Coach Hughes' press conference to begin the season, and and you were there, and, and or, or you you weren't there, but I sent it to you later. We sent mm-hmm. the audio, we we rolled through it and picked through it all, and I remember him saying this group had a little bit of a different feeling about them as far as culture and tightness and. You know, coaches love to use those words a lot, but he he, he pointed to the fact that this group seemed to be really tight. And uh, beyond just the fact they liked each other, they really wanted to work hard and change something with K-State. Yes, they did not make the tournament, but there was a big feeling all year long that this was the start of something, that K-State was beginning to turn the corner under PQs and begin to, to take off. And... You know, I don't say that lightly. Uh, you know, you feel like that's been the case a couple of different times in other sports, but this this had a different feel to it. I don't know if it was just because of the seasons we had for football and then basketball, but Rudy Darrell has made a huge impact, I think, on the pitching side and recruiting. I think they're very excited about what they have coming in next year. They're active in the portal as we speak. And there's a lot of momentum around K-State. They're getting a lot of notoriety. Um you know, it doesn't hurt that Jerome Tang and Jareen Dowling are wearing K-State baseball jerseys while they're out recruiting. That's kind of nice. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. If we remember this team, you're going to remember Tyson Neighbors coming in. He's going to if he doesn't if he doesn't win National Stopper of the Year, then he'll be a first team All American. Uh, the combination of Cole Pepper and Goodwin on the left side defensively as good as it gets. Rafael Pelletier all-conference catcher, kind of a breakout season, 30 days breakout season. Uh, this is a group that is hungry. They're blue-collar. They play with a chip on their shoulder. And I'll tell you what, just from the conversations I've heard and had with team members, staff, and all that, they are taking this the right way. And that is they are highly motivated for 2024. There is a massive chip on the shoulder for next year. So, um, I don't know if it'll be like the Royals when they missed the missed the World Series title and they came back the next year with a big chip on the shoulder. That's what it feels like. You know, this is obviously much smaller and they're not in the postseason, but this is a motivated bunch that's all coming back next year. It's going to be a lot of fun 
uh, in Manhattan, Kansas, I think, in the spring of 2024, especially with teams like Texas coming to town for the last time. There's no doubt about it. And I mean, heck, for us, I mean, soccer and volleyball would just be right around the corner early August. We'll get things going again. But do you have anything planned, fun for the summer? I don't know. Right now, time off. I was hoping I'd be on the road here tomorrow going to a regional. But um, no, time off this summer and and spend time with family. Um, We'll take some vacations and crank it all back up at the end of July, getting ready for August and yeah, it'll be here before we know it. We're, we've got two new control rooms coming online at, at uh, for K-City, CTD, Port of Art, remodeling and upgrading of everything that'll be part of the new volleyball arena. So it'll be, uh, we've got a lot of work to do to get ready for that over the next two months, and then we'll be off and running. Well, Brian, as always, I, I appreciate it. It's great to hear you and, and uh, Matt on the call for the Big 12 tournament in uh, in Arlington, Texas, and always kill it on, of course, Big 12 now on ESPN+. And, and thank you for all the help you give me during the season. So uh, if I don't see you in the next couple of months, enjoy your summer. All right, buddy. Same to you. Talk to you later. It's Brian Smoller from K-State Athletics, K-State broadcaster here on the game as we talk K-State baseball. Uh, let's take a break. More of the game next. I can't imagine how hot Pete Hughes has been the last 30 hours. Oof. Uh, you know, maybe the statement that he released earlier today about three hours ago might be just putting in mildly the frustrations that he is now one of the latest coaches to have to deal with. That RPI has been spoken out, out, about, out about negatively for a long time now, and it's still the formula. You know, really boggles my mind. You know, to kind of expand on what Smoller and I were talking about earlier about scheduling and how you know you're scheduling a couple of years out, 25 and 26 is what's being worked on right now. You know, it's kind of hard sometimes to tell how good a team is going to be when you're scheduling them a couple of years out. In uh, K State, you know, scheduled UC Irvine. That was a very good RPI type of series on the road. And you win two out of three, that's exactly what you're looking for. You wanted a couple of wins on the road against a team like UC Irvine that just barely missed the NCAA tournament, and they're a top 50 RPI program. They had an RPI of 49. K-State was 55, and they still and they also missed out on the NCAA tournament. But it, you know, it's to the point where you get later in the year, and with the committee honoring the RPI so much, I mean, you're getting you're you're getting hurt. Potentially just by playing bad RPI teams, just by playing them. And it's not honoring wins and losses. It's just honoring who you're playing, what the RPI is. And it's not so much wins and losses. And that's very frustrating because when you get to the regionalized part of the schedule, case that year in and year out with, with these midweek games, because yes, like, Bro- like Brian said, got to go to class, got to take care of those academics, can't afford to be on the road all the time. So you're scheduling the Omaha's. The Creighton's, the Wichita State's, the Nebraska's to play year after year, just like Oklahoma. And Oklahoma will have like you know Dallas Baptist. That's a really good program. Or Roberts, they also have Wichita State in there as well. I think they had also uh, Arlington, UT Arlington there on the schedule as well. Well, I mean, if you just look at that compared to what K State played regionally, those are way better quality opponents than what K State had. Oklahoma. Let, let me let me pull up their schedule real quick. Or Roberts doesn't seem like that great of a program. They're they're seventy six RPI. They're they're a dominant in the summit. Dallas Baptist had an RPI of sixteen. Yes, they are the monster when it comes to 
the teams there. Meanwhile, K-State played Omaha. That's an RPI of 266. Creighton at 129. And K-State took care of business against Creighton. Got that done. Yes, that did hurt. Going to Omaha to an RPI team of 266 and losing 7-6 thanks to a couple of errors late in the game. And Omaha comes back and wins that game. That hurt. I mean, K-State probably should have taken care of business. But at the end of the day, winning that game probably doesn't make a difference at all. It's just having them on the schedule and filling up or maybe I shouldn't say filling up, but having non-con games against poor RPI teams when you're scheduling them a couple of years out hurt K-State. St. Thomas on the schedule. Yeah, they lost one of the games. Hurt them more just having them on the schedule, it feels like. You mentioned Oral Roberts' RPI. I want to note why their RPI wound up so low. Did you see what the rest of the Summit League looked like this year? Omaha lost their last five games, finished 26-31. and 31. South Dakota State finished a game under 500. Then you've got St. Thomas, Northern Colorado, and Western Illinois, all well below 500. St. Thomas went 16-29. and 29. That would be why Oral Roberts' RPI is so low. That conference did not perform, especially the bottom four, once you got out of the top three. And it also felt like, and I, you know, again, I'm no expert on college baseball, but like the SEC, there was certainly a mo- lot more value put on if you're going to value wins and losses about the power of the SEC. They're, they're a powerful baseball conference. But if you get outside of the Big 12 or the, the SEC, is it the same for the Big 12? Is it the same for the ACC? Doesn't really feel like it. But I also said earlier, like this was probably a couple of weeks ago, where I said that you know the Big Twelve could potentially get seven in. They got six in, but out of those seven, I would have not have guessed it was going to be K State being left out. There's no doubt my guess would have been Oklahoma. Yes, no doubt, because of head to head, because of being the worst team of the seven, you would think that they would be the ones left out. But no, they played RPI wise. A tougher schedule. And it's amazing to me that the RPI wound up playing such a role when you have national analysts even taking a look at Oklahoma and saying, oh no, they're 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 a much worse ball club than what K State was. 